0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Concerts that made us. Interviews and stories. Tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and the cheering crowd sound. It's concerts. Concerts that made us. Concerts that made us
2: This is Jeremy. Mr. Arthur from Core, and you're listening, listening to, to Concerts, concerts that, that Made Us. us.
0: Very welcome to concerts that made us. Hey, thanks for having yes. us. Thanks for being there. It's great to have you guys. Now I'm looking forward to diving into your music over the next bit. So, core release "Daydream Junkie" back in September. What can you tell us about it?
2: Um, actually, the the radio edit of that. Um, it was initially released uh independently on a double disc that we did as a remake from a prior uh, label we had. We um, came uh, across. Uh, communications with pavement uh the label and tim king and uh he loved that song and uh coaxed us into uh doing a radio edit of it. we trimmed it down a little bit for time and uh that's
0: that's what you hear it's the finished product and you know when you were writing this song where did the inspiration come from
2: um kind of a convoluted story but uh i guess the general premise of it was is. Uh, it was just a situation I was in at the time uh, there's things going on in my life that I probably should have had a conversation with somebody that I didn't have the guts to have. Uh, so it kind of just kind of wrote itself, like me thinking out loud without really knowing I was doing it. Um, and it was just, just my side of that conversation with this person. Um, I mean, it's kind of an emotional mess of a song, but... I mean, without giving away too much specific detail to implicate anybody, that's the general theme and thesis of the song.
0: Right, right, I get you. And, you know, you mentioned it's off uh, Broken Heart Syndrome. It was originally released in 2015, and then you guys decided to redo it. What led to that decision?
2: Um, well, the 2015 release the label, and next to none of what was promised was was carried out at their end. Um, So we had a clause in the contract um, to where I could re-record the songs and retain ownership of the master recording. Um, I had very deliberate um, foray into the world of sync licensing, TV and film. So it was important that I had those rights to my ownership so that there wouldn't be any legal issues in terms of things like that. So that was the general reason why to do it. But once we got to it, um, it didn't seem right to put out the same exact thing. So we changed a lot in, in terms of the kick drum tones and the bass guitar tones and changed the mixes in the EQ and stuff and added some stuff and subtracted a little bit here and there too. But um, in addition to that, um, I took on the challenge of doing acoustic versions of the entire record as well. So we released it as a double album as A, a celebration of something new, and then B, um, to just really see if I had – the skills to pull off acoustic versions of songs that were not intended to ever be acoustic. But um the response we got upon the release was um I love the, the radio of the record, but we get almost more attention for the acoustic tracks we had the guts to do something that far out. So that was kind of the ideology behind it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know when it comes time to making new music then what does the dynamic look like within the band?
2: We don't really have any rules or format, I mean it to present has pretty much started with for the most part a pretty stiff outline of a song before I'll even bring it to these guys. And I think some of it's because I'm like over perfectionist about everything. Um I don't like to bring half-baked I- to these guys because I probably I've been told before I've thrown away probably more good ideas than most people have had, but um, I'm a perfectionist about that stuff. So um, if it gets to a point where it's good enough for me, I figure they're going to probably like it, and, and everybody else probably
3: will too. So, you know, say what you will about that. I think it's it makes the writing process easier for everyone because there's there's a solid foundation and a groove that that we can all just fall into, and, and much like he was saying with Daydream Junkie, the stuff almost writes itself once once it gets laid down on the table.
0: Nice, nice. And Jeremy, you started core nearly 20 years ago now at this stage. How has your approach to music changed over the years?
2: Um, I don't know that it really has. I mean, the way that I started the band was at the time I was playing with some really talented musicians, but they'd never gotten toured, they'd never played any shows. Um, and they were really kind of just laying in the comfort zone of playing cover songs and stuff like that. That I was like, well, we can play those songs and we'll get chairs every night. But like, I write songs and the, I think the songs are as good as the songs that you guys want to cover. Um, so it kind of started it out of frustration because I had um, five songs that I recorded as an EP by myself. Um, eventually ended up on the uh, debut album, the full length debut, We All Fall. Um, but when I started the band, I didn't even, hand. I just had the songs. Um, so I put out ads on chat room boards and stuff like that around the Midwest area, just saying, singer songwriter looking for a drummer and a bass player, and, and piece the band together that but just off of the strength of those first songs. So fast forward 20 years later. If for no other reason, I just don't know any other way to do it. That's kind of how I approached the songwriting process. Now, having full-time members in a band, now obviously a lot more um, democracy goes in with that. But in the very, very beginning,
3: there was nobody except me.
0: Nice, right? And Arthur, anything to add to that?
3: You know, uh, it, it's it's fun. You know, there's there's some stuff that's kind of in the the hopper if you will that that has just started with fiddling around at rehearsal and and then we stop to to actually do stuff and and Jeremy be like hey no keep playing that keep playing that and then' just a little bit and then starts fiddling with so um you know ironically um I knew Jeremy back then not nearly as well as I know him now and uh we almost um it on a project back then but then parted <laughs> ways and life brought us back together again it's been uh that's
2: the version you're gonna tell
3: well i mean <laughs> if he wants to ask questions It can but
2: uh. <laughs> no we played we uh we were together on the foundation of a band that it was a blessing they kicked my ass out of the band before we got going, <laughs> um, but it was the right decision so because the the, the of that band was going in, I was definitely not the right player or person for that project. At the time, it pissed me off, so it was funny that all these years later, um, and, and we, we pretty much grew up together, so we've always known each other, run in similar circles and have a lot of um, the same friends and stuff like that
3: But but, yeah, that's the whole yeah. of that. Uh, that. That project evolved into, like, this funk fusion sort of um, deal, which, yeah, in, thinking back to that. Oh, and it was awesome. It's hard to picture me. Yeah. Um,
2: I would have split if I wasn't kicked out. But, <laughs> but in the early phases of that, I mean, I had no idea there was going to be dude up on stage rapping, and you had turntables and all this, like, Crazy, awesome, like guitar-driven rock, but with all those funk elements yeah. and and hip hop stuff. So that's not my bag.
3: The same time signatures and time changes, and yeah,
0: it's fun. yeah it does seem fun. a bit uh, a bit different from core, all right <laughs> 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 I suppose at this stage we'll dive a bit into your history to give the listeners a sense of where you come from musically. So it's a bit of a tough question now, but can you remember your earliest musical memory?
2: um i don't know that i remember my mind but i've seen the picture um when i was like two my parents have a picture of me like rating their record collection i had these gigantic oversized headphones on and was like jamming out to just music and like just putting records on on my own taking them <laughs> off um so that would probably be my earliest interaction with it in terms of something I remember. Uh, Probably my earliest one would be um, Brian Adams, the guy that sings Summer of hmm. Um My dad took me to see him, um, and like the entire section we were sitting in was smoking. <laughs> so <laughs> that would probably be my earliest recollection.
3: Um, you know, uh, I remember a lot up, you know, my dad was a big John Cash fan uh, I can't tell you how many times I heard a name Sue growing up <laughs> had that on vinyl, and that spun lot. And um, Simon and Garcle the Boxer was another one. Um, great songs, um, great artists, and and yeah, that's still actually my dad passed away in 2017, but I'll have those vinyls at home.
0: See, I see, and can you? Pinpoint the exact moment that kind of sparked a desire to become a musician in you guys.
2: As early as I can remember. It's yeah. it's all I've ever really done. This is a strange dichotomy, but like sports and music are the only two things I've really had any aspiration for at all. Really? I mean, sports. So. No, I did. I just got, <laughs> got critically injured in sports. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it was always music. And for me... Because of those two things, I didn't really have a core group of people that were, like, my people because, like, football and basketball season, like, my my jock friends didn't understand my music friends and, like, would make fun of them and stuff. So I'd be in fights with them all the time. They're good people. Like, what's your problem? And my music friends were way more accepting of, like, my, my jock friends, but they never coexisted. It was never going to happen. So... I was kind of the, like the odd man out in both of those kind of scenes. But yeah, it was always definitely music.
0: I have to ask, did you look like the sports guy that was hanging out with the music guys or did you look like the music guy hanging out with the sports guy?
2: Kind of more like the music hanging out with the sports guys.
0: Right. Still do.
2: <laughs> but I was also quarterback of the football team. But I always I and it's something I do to this day, like, I don't care what your things are. Just be a good person.
3: We're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
3: I've always sucked at sports. Um, <laughs> enjoyed playing. But uh, in fourth, grade, the orchestra teacher came around to all the classes. And I remember her coming in and showing the class, all the instruments. And and she pulled up the bass and I was just like, oh, that, I want to play that. <laughs> uh sadly, I was too short in fourth grade to actually play the bass successfully, <laughs> even on a chair. So they made me start on the cello. Um, and then in grade I switched to the the bass. But yeah, music uh has been in my blood ever since I can remember.
0: And growing up then, your local music scene, what was it like and how does it compare to today? Has it changed much over the years?
2: Well, where we live. There's not really a scene at all. Um, And the little bit that exists, we don't fit into at all. We've also never really aspired for that. I mean, we've always tried to go outside of this network. Um, I mean, Dakota has a lot of positives about it, but in terms of like population and opportunities for for a rock band like us, there's more cows than people in the state. (laughs) Um, But we're three to four hours away from major hubs in like Minneapolis. Minnesota and Omaha, Nebraska and Lawrence, Kansas and things like that. So I guess growing up, um, Arthur was actually just inducted into the South Dakota Rockwell Hall of Fame for a band he played in um, in high school.
3: Oh, right
2: after
3: after high school.
0: So, Congratulations.
2: Yeah. And then there was another guy that that was a little bit older than me um, and Arthur, but he was also inducted to the Rockwell Hall of Fame as a promoter. Um, His name is Terry Taylor and he still does promotion like nationally um with the company Amouth, but he was my recollection of a music scene. He would book like punk shows in like rent gymnasiums where there'd be a stage on each end of the basketball court and one band would go on, and they're done, and the other band would go and it just went back and forth like that all night. So there was that part of the scene, but it was like yeah. a punk thing that I was ever, like I like that music, but my brain doesn't work like that in terms of like playing music.
3: But, yeah. but since then? Well, mean. yeah, it, if you remind about 25, 30 years ago, um, there was a, a rock club here in, in Sioux Falls that was definitely on the national map. Like Aerosmith kind of blew up for them when they went down there after a show they played here in town, got on stage with the band that was that night, and there was, it was on MPP. And uh, there was actually last year... A documentary on this club uh, released, but you know, a lot of great bands went there, and and there were also like a lot of creative and and just rock bands, like original stuff back at that you know, time frame. And um, nine, January number thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, was the last day that club was open, um, and the the music scene is definitely degraded since that happened, uh, sadly.
2: Well, the majority of the stuff that comes through here is like pretty corporate type of things where it's either really, really big A list country artists. Um, and we do get a fair share of like rock and even some metal stuff, but it's at like the Premier Center that's owned by a bank and like the majority of the people that are at those shows don't even know who the band is. It's just kind of like high school over again, where it's just this big event with a room full of assholes. That I didn't want to ever be around anyhow. Hmm. It's like, now I got to listen to bands
3: that I love. But sure. You, you can, can come to our said assholes. <laughs> <We're okay>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's become
2: like corporate big money and good for the people that are in charge of that. But um it's just, to me personally. It's just gross. I don't want to be a part of any of that. And good for the bands that are getting those paychecks because I know that they're large. But um, that's, I mean, about
3: the extent of the scene here. We've got a couple smaller clubs that support, you know, small to mid-level touring rock acts. Uh, one, one in particular. Although you know, advertising and sub- local support could be a lot better than it is, but um, they do shows. So,
2: I'm talking about things, yeah. yeah. So we're doing. Um, are you familiar with the band Trapped?
0: I've heard the name. I wouldn't be overly familiar.
2: Um, they had a big like in the mid two thousands. Headstrong, yeah. Hmm. So we're we're doing a show there with them in two weeks. Um, uh-huh multiple dates than before and they're they're really good to us um yeah. and they're fun show but I mean typically if we play anywhere in South Dakota more than once or twice a year it's a rare
0: thing I'm dying to hear about your shows but before we do I have to ask as a concert goer what concerts would you say have made you guys
2: how much time you got well <laughs> um, shine yeah, wanna... yeah shine down is always going to be at the top of my list um seven dust is always at the top of my list um we've dates with both of those bands which was cool because you kind of get to see it from a perspective when you're there
1: Mm.
2: instead of although when i met brett smith the singer shined down real briefly stage when he came and asked if or actually tour manager came tour manager came and asked if we could move rig so they could load their their (laughs) in the back of the venue but um brett was like right here it was so cool and it kind of creeped me out because Six and he's not. And like you see a person on TV, and you think things, and you see him quite a bit shorter. But no, he was super polite and super cool and just a good human being. And and all those guys, his management band and crew were. And I kind of got a little bit starstruck because I'm trying to look the guy in the eyes, asking us to move our stuff. And I'm like, that's fucking Brett Smith, I'm right there, and I played a show with these dudes. nuts, but. Yeah, I mean, like the, the dates that we did with Seven Dust, they were just down to earth, super cool dudes. And I mean, so those would be my top two bands um, that I listen to and, and live music too. But I mean, I mean, it's not the same lineup as it used to be, but like the Puppies, I mean, that's a three-piece band that just freaking throws down. Um, Bear Tooth, Bad Omens, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Those are the ones that stand out to me
3: one one that's definitely at the top of my list is Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I have lost count uh, on the number of shows att- attended. Alter Bridge. Alter Bridge was a great one. Um I mean I'd be if I didn't mention Metallica. Um I mean that that's a one that I that I cut my teeth on. I got my first electric bass, you know seen them multiple times and they always deliver right um yeah Beartooth Beartooth is an amazing show for, if you haven't seen them live and you get the opportunity I highly recommend it um in this moment uh you know definitely changing gears. but man that is a show for sure um oh my gosh um this, it's such a question because I have seen so many Shows uh, Gemini Sin was amazing live. Uh, to Tower, um, saw together uh, in Counts that was Stone Temple Pilots, yeah, saw Pearl Jam, Bad Flower, Pearl.
2: Bad Flower, yeah.
3: Um, I mean, I flower <laughs> just talk high energy. Oh my god, I that bass player actually has more energy than me on stage, which I didn't think was That's possible. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I like, oh my god, how is your head not falling? Um, so the same. about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to laundry list it, but um, yeah, I mean, I just I love it. And when I can, I go see it and support it.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you guys have shared the stage with a long, long list of major name bands, you know, including, as you mentioned, Shinedown, Seven Dust, Alter Bridge, Book Cherry. The list we could be here for hours just naming out the list. But when you're playing with guys on that on that level, what do you learn?
2: I, mean, I don't know if it's something that I learned as much as it is something that we preach to each other, is we're there to do a job just like them. Um and aside from like that first time meeting Britt Smith or not even really meeting, just standing next to him and having him like acknowledge me. Um I've from that point forward been very aware like don't be a little fanboy about this stuff. Tell our crew, like, don't be over there seeking pictures and autographs. They engage you and they want to come talk to you. Then that different thing. But um, like I remember, we talked about this the other day. Um, did a show with Hollywood and Dead, a festival show, like five hours north of here, and it was huge. There was like six or seven thousand people there, and um, it was us and Apt and two other bands and. The contract was meet and greets for like VIP holders prior to the show. And then they got for soundcheck. Um, so we're in the meet and greet tent and he's like, will you go get so-and-so from Hollywood? And I'm like, I don't know those guys. And they wouldn't off the bus. So, but what would happen about every 30 or 40 minutes is their tour manager would come off the bus and like he weighed 300 pounds. Cause he had a bunch of t-shirts under his jacket them over to merch and then he'd come back to the bus looking like his normal self but they 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 hung on the bus all day, all night and didn't really engage anybody um, and just they were having a good time all day and I believe the ability for them to just absolutely kill. I mean, they were one of the tightest bands I've ever seen. I was blown away by it. Afterwards, we were backstage and um just kind of talking to the promoter and some other people and I look over and I see our merch guy and our tour manager over there chatting up one of the dudes in Hollywood and dead. And I was like, what are they doing? So I went over there to like break it up. And he came over, uh, one of the guys in Hollywood and dead is a huge horror movie uh, fan, as is our tour manager, Bert. And this guy lived like three houses down Freddie Krueger, The guy that played Freddie in um, the movies. So they had almost identical tattoos of all these horror characters, despite meeting each other before. So that's kind of cool, but I mean, in terms of like learning from them, um, a lot of those bands that you mentioned, fans of. So I mean, there's definitely the the lesson of the craft, how great they write songs, and then how flawlessly they perform them. At the end of the day, just like oh, they're people too, and and more often than not, the shows we've done, like they'll come up to us, like, hey, how you guys doing? What do you think of the show? You know, glad it worked out to get you on and you guys awesome or keep doing what you're doing or how do you get so much sound as a three piece? But the thing we preach the
3: most is like, we're there just like them. I don't know that it's so much I learned this, but I'm reminded every time we have the opportunities, uh, just humble. You know, the, the fact that I'm able to play, let alone play with with these level calipers. Of, of musicians is a gift um you know i i have ms so it's been a couple scares here and there where you know it's like damn am i gonna be able to you know wake up and and do what i've done um and i've i've had breaks in playing to be parent and um you know it, it's it's one hell of a journey and uh there's always little tricks like you know, boil strings, whatever. Um, the, you know, and, and there's nothing like big to my mind, but everybody's got their own experiences, and if if you're paying attention to where you are, you can pick up on some little little tricks and throw them in your bag and make them part of the everyday that you do.
2: Well, and I think, at least for me personally, I'll speak for myself, and on I'm always of the opinion of. If I can't look in the mirror and be like, all right, you're good enough to be on the stage, dudes, then I'm not doing something right, like I'm not practicing enough. I'm not because that's our measuring stick. Like we want to be where they are and we are full and fortunate to get those opportunities. To have. And I don't take for granted that they're always just continue to happen. But I also believe that they have continued to happen because of professionalism that we bring to our live show in general, because it is a business.
0: Mm. Yeah, true. True, and for any listeners then that haven't caught one of your shows tell us all about it give us the full experience if you can obviously without picking up instruments and giving us a show
2: (laughs) (laughs) um well as a three-piece it's something that we are really particular about how we arrange the set list having 40 plus songs of material to pick from and currently writing and rehearsing new songs as well I think the biggest struggle for us is just putting together a set list where everybody's happy because there's always something that you're gonna have to cut and then there's always at least like probably five to maybe seven songs depending on how much set time we get they're definitely be in every set list no matter what so um we try to give especially if we're playing you know, geographically within a hundred or a hundred miles of another city um a slightly different set list each night but um, from there, it's all energy, all emotion, all passion. Um, a whole lot of watching this fly around the stage like a Tasmanian devil, <laughs> which is awesome.
3: I'm um, trying to remember which bass I play on which song.
2: Yeah, it drives me nuts. He's got to play a different bass, a different tuning, or I'm, I'm like, you don't have time for that. <laughs> Try to keep it moving. Um, we don't have a lot of like quiet time in between songs. I mean, there's a there's a couple of spots that we'll usually pick. And, and, and purposely, like, let's punch in the face with these first three songs, like a musical transition to the next song, and I'll talk over that to the crowd. Um, but our rule of thumb that I say before every show is, like, no matter what we're playing, if I can't look out in the crowd and see that I got people eating out of the palm of my hands by that horse, we're sucking. Yeah. So well, that's that's kind of what we use as the, the measuring stick to what we're doing but um i'd say it's just high energy rock show
3: authentic somewhat I, I guess i would say also kind of how blind melon stay with me on this one <laughs> well melon kind of approaches the creation of an album if you look at all of albums it's it's a journey from the start to finish and it makes sense by the time you're done how every song plays throughout that album and, and our shows are no different than that. No. And it's one hell fucking ride. I'll tell you that. So, you know, stay tuned and show up and see us. If you happen to be in the states. if we come to Ireland, we will absolutely
0: I'd reach love out. to you come know. to Ireland. That would be pretty epic. All right. You guys are teared up over here.
3: It actually, uh, <laughs> we had, the. Uh, yeah, we had, Contact. yeah. We had
2: an opportunity to tour the UK with Inframe Steam, um, like ridiculous, like 70,000 seat amphitheaters. But, um, yeah, it was, yeah, logistically, logistically not, not that we were going to try to tackle. But it's cool to have, I mean, and that was again from table, an opportunity that we got through them. And I think somebody from the label actually did jump at that. Yeah. I mean, we had the conversations, okay, the expenses to get there and back and logistics are damn near impossible. But if we can pull it off, <laughs> we're playing in front of that people every night. We have to sell but to a tiny fraction of those crowds to probably pay for the whole tour. And But it was just the routing and just that – I hate flying. I hate planes. <laughs> actually, I love – The idea of flying, getting from place to another in a short amount of time, but it's everything I mean is dramatic for a big baby about that stuff.
3: (laughs) We'll get (laughs) outside having
2: yet. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when you think of all the gigs you've played now, is there one that sticks in your mind as maybe the most perfect gig you've played? I know there's no such thing as a perfect gig, but which one sticks out?
3: Oh, the tough one. You know, one definitely sticks out for me. Is when we played with Alter for no better reason than you know, I've held all of those guys on this ridiculous pedestal for as I can remember. And the bus pulls up, and I rem- remember Miles getting off the bus and just coming straight over to it, taking his hand out yeah. and saying, Hey, I'm Miles. I'm like, I- I know. We know. <laughs> Um just down to earth. Nice, one of the nicest guys I've ever met.
2: Yeah, and then um, him after him and Mark Tremonti came up to us yeah. and they're we like, Thanks for doing the show, you guys sounded great. Hope you had fun. I'm like, yeah, thanks for having us.
3: <laughs> we uh, we had a lot <laughs> of fun with one of our stage crew and his traveling lawn chair. That, that's a whole nother story for <laughs> another
2: time. <laughs> another <story. laughs> um for me, it's so hard to pick one because they're all so unique, but um, definitely a sign down show on on the sound of Madness. Um that was at a baseball stadium I mean absolutely sold wall to wall and then that first seven show probably would be the ones that stick out for me um, but there's I mean it's all Yeah. I mean it's like if if the worst problem I have in the day is out which was the least special of all that I been a pretty <laughs> good day because they were all freaking amazing yeah, yeah, I get and you. And we've got some huge, huge tour dates coming up in November and December that we can't announce yet, but uh, they're pretty epic. Um, and those are, like, week runs instead of, like, off dates. So um, a little bit of a nightmare logistically from a track
3: perspective, but we're making it happen. So.
0: Nice, nice. If and... so get
3: back to us in January, we may answer that question differently. <laughs>
0: I'll have to do that. So I'll have to do that. Now, I always say you have to have the good with the bad. So, is there out of every gig you've played now since you started playing, is there one that sticks out as the worst? And how did you overcome it? A two.
2: And they've happened in the last. Okay, there's three. <laughs> 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 the two I were going to say happened locally within the last calendar. Um, and one of which is at the venue that we're playing with Trapped uh two weeks from, uh okay, which was like ironically with trapped. with trapped um yeah so they put
3: last minute
2: last minute like some local 80s cover band opener that went high school band yeah like went over their set time and then band that was the the opener the whole run of dates went way over their set time we were direct support so we're 45 50 minute set we get up like Trap needs to be on stage at like this time, and that's like 18 minutes away. I'm like, Well, they're gonna be late. Oh, uh. he's like, No, you don't understand. Like, your manager's up my ass. I'm like, That's your problem. You want to talk to a manager because I'm sure he'll be up your ass too. And he's like, No, you guys gotta do it. You gotta do it. And so I'm telling, talking to these guys on stage because they had everything, they didn't have um phantom power for my mic, a mic that requires a special kind of power source. Um, it was just, and we're never on stage before we start. Anyhow, we usually have an intro track, like the house lights will dim, and then, like by the time we come on stage, is the tail of that. So, um, it was a it was a nightmare. But uh, he's checking my guitar signal, and it just slowly fizzled. Uh, oh man! So the in front of me blew up my guitar rig. We thought, luckily, I had a modeller that I had never brought to a show before, but. This time for whatever reason, but it wasn't pro but so I dialed up a tone real quick. Um, and they just DI'd me to the front of house. We played played our three songs, which like, okay, because we didn't just trapped off. I'm like, we're gonna do other dates with these guys, it's not their fault. Let's just be pros about this. And the crowd was pissed. We we're Like, let's go. And we had people that had come from all over the place to see us. So as we're like halfway through the third song, I am the talk back mic from the front of house guy, he's like trap says you guys should play more you guys are killing it i'm like oh now we get more as we're playing what would have been our last one for the set so um the monitor system was just a nightmare so that show and then like three weeks later we did a show with uh Stall and varsity who were huge fans of um that was just an absolute nightmare of a show same deal opening bands went way over time um <laughs> instead of telling Set was getting cut, they just turned my mic on the middle of a song. I'm like, ah,
3: well, uh, they told us, but there was no hearing anything for those monitors,
2: yeah. So, let alone at, up. of those two dates, I told the guys this early December last year, I said, All right, I, I'm just gonna spend a shitload of money. We're building our own in air monitor system, I'm building an in air back, we're doing all, all of our own in air, so we never about this again. So, we have it now, but uh, those would be the two night shows for me back to back
3: yeah yeah that does
2: well and we had a club, club shows that small for a long time so it was like i was thinking this will be the most production ever because there's not much to about. it was a freaking yeah. train wreck <laughs> oh, man.
0: oh and you know when it comes to showtime then do you guys have any pre-show or post-show rituals how do you psych yourself up and then how do you wind down afterwards
3: Um, geez, I, uh, I just try to get as loose as possible. And I mean, the notion of playing in front of anybody, um, regardless of the, the crowd size, gets me excited. So I really need to get too psyched up. Just, um, get me in front of a base and, and I get excited.
2: I'm not really around for a pre-show ritual. Usually about 30 minutes to 40 minutes before we're going to go on stage. You're that social bastard. No, I'll <laughs> go out to our trailer um, and like gargoyle with warm honey and like do vocal exercises, get vocal cords nice and loose and stretched out uh, for usually like 30, 35, 40 minutes, maybe just depending on how my voice feels that day. And then usually about 10 minutes before we go on stage, I'm back in the venue just kind of preparing for what we got coming up.
0: Mm. Gotcha. I gotcha. What about afterwards then? Any big parties? Any wild stories you can tell us about?
2: Oh, I got to. See you. For me personally, I mean, these guys don't. But um, once we're done, I'm ready to just do whatever the hell I do. But typically, the routine is, and we announce it from stage, and and this is a hundred percent authentic we go back and hang out at merch and I get from the stage. Like we want to meet every one of you guys Come say hi. We're not going to press you to buy stuff. It'd be cool to do, but if you don't just come say hi. Um, so that would be the routine, but on the way yeah. there had better be a crown royal for me or something, because I'm cause I don't drink pre-show. I don't party any of that stuff. Uh, my allergies allow me to be around anybody who smokes or anything like that. Cause then I couldn't sing. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of a choir boy before the show, but afterwards, like, I'm just whatever happens. But in terms of stories, um, I guess the <laughs> the one that I would tell uh, that I'm not embarrassed to say I'm a part of is uh, we did a festival show about five and a half hours north of here. Um, it, it was a show that I couldn't believe they wanted a song because it was Quiet Riot and Great White. Nice. um and i'm like have you heard our music <laughs> <And they're> like <laughs> everybody in Aberdeen says that you guys are the band to book because they've seen us with hollywood undead and they'd seen us with saliva and like a bunch of fans that we toured with up through that area i'm like well we'll do it just submit the offer i did and i was like well this is a good offer we're cool with that. i'm like what billing are we getting and he's like, you guys are going to be direct support to the headlines. i'm like okay but they wanted to local cover band as an opener again. So you see the theme here? Yeah. So I was like, all right, all right, fine. You know, the deposit um, contract over and, and we'll confirm. Um, so they did. That. And then like three days before the show, the promoter called. He's like, Hey, buddy, that's like paying for half the show. He owns a local bar here. He wants you guys to do an acoustic uh, or he wants you guys to play at his club the night before the show. And I said, well, we're not we going to do that. And he's like, why? I said, because that's stupid. I said, am going to pay 60 bucks to see us tomorrow. If they can see us the night before, you're for free. Like, I'm not doing that. But it'll be a show, the headliners will probably kill us. Like, he's like, no, they're going to come down and hang out with you guys. I'm like, well, that's cool. They want us to do a whole set of this little shitty bar. And he's like, well, we haven't talked to them. <laughs> I'm like, I want to talk to them first. What the compromise ended up being was that just me did an acoustic. Uh, 30 minute acoustic set and left to the devices of my band time. This is prior to Arthur, like probably a year to Arthur. So this is probably like eight, nine years ago. Um, the band at that time were all partakers in whatever they could partake in. So i getting hammered and stoned out in the crowd. And I didn't know that the owner of the club told them, just order whatever you want for foods. So the time I got done with my 30 minute acoustic set, they had the whole bar drunk and high and had enough food to feed in the bar times too. And we we're getting ready to leave. And my buddy, Andy, who was in my base player at the time, um, had befriended this Amish guy that was having an after party house, I guess, and was not going to let Andy out of his, was like trying to kidnap him to bring him to, to his party. <laughs> and, uh, it got a little hairy there for a minute, but, uh, We've got some video to probably never see the light of day of our ride back to the hotel that the premier had six just drunk as sellers and three of them stoned out of their minds, just telling ridiculous stories the whole way back uh, to the hotel. So that would probably be the the most boisterous one. or the guy that was trying to for me after the Elkhart Bridge show. Oh,
3: yes. Left That's his kid in the car. Note, that is the one time in recorded history where the bass was the focus of a fan's obsession.
2: It's true that what? is true because he was a stand-up <laughs> he was like talking like from scotland the whole way home yeah it was hilarious. but <laughs> guy, about, know, the guy I thought about just telling the guy at the Alter bridge show yeah. backstage uh behind where the backstage was there's like fencing and then parking because uh, it was at the at the state grounds
3: and like every five minutes he'd have, if any of us found any altar bridge page probably. Like,
2: what yeah, but then We've he gotta started, pray for you too yeah but he started saying some outlandish shit about like I'm worried about you like, me yeah. personally why like we just <laughs> and he's <laughs> like what well, I say? He's like you sing about disturbing things I'm like it's not all disturbing I'm like but those are things that happen in my life I write about what I live and you know it's all real and he's like well, I pray for for
3: you I'm like we just <laughs>
2: like in the meantime
3: just, like, this guy his daughter in his car and it's dark outside yeah, he's, and- like My kid's the... in my car.
2: I'm like, maybe just stop praying for me and go get your kid.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> and Please stay on that side. Of you're scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> that was wild. Yeah,
3: yeah
2: that was that a was lot. But also, that was one of probably the coolest, like band memories I have with us as a group because I turned around and all the guys were right there like, if this guy does anything wrong. I'm like, I, got, I can handle myself. <laughs> we're <laughs> fine. But, uh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, that was weird. Um had a girl come show once to tattooed the band logo on her chest. Right. Crazy. Had a boyfriend asked me to sign his fiance's breast. I'm like, does she is she on this? And and she's like, Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I feel right about this. <laughs> but I did it. And I was pissed off about it. But I was like, look, these guys what do you do? pay bills. They buy merch. They're fans, like. I don't know. Maybe they have some kinky fetish thing. I don't know. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen, but I mean, I didn't touch her. (laughs) It was a show. Oh man. (laughs) Those are the cleanest ones I can tell you.
0: Right. right. I get you. I get you. And you know, how do you guys go about balancing your personal lives with the demands of being in a band?
3: That's a good question. And, and if I ever come up <laughs> with a good answer, I will absolutely let you. Know. <laughs> no, um, you know it, it's family comes first. Mm-hmm. You know, um, without without my family, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do, nor would I have half of the motivation. So, um, but from there, it's just you know, there's there's a laundry list of. That need to happen in order for us to happen, and uh, and it's simply a matter of how how can we manage to get this worked out, and not let other critical balls, if you will, drop. And
2: well, and it is a juggling act. Yeah. But right where you started is where I would start too. I mean, in fairness, like when I met my wife, she knew she knew she was getting, she knew who she was getting involved with, but she's also been my biggest supporter. Um, bar none, and didn't have that support. We probably wouldn't be doing it to the level that we're doing it, but we would still be writing and recording. We just probably wouldn't be touring. We wouldn't probably be as aspirational about it as we are. Um, But, I mean, and honestly, there's been times where I was like, what are we doing? Like, why am I putting all this time and energy into it? Because the highs are really high, but there's lows that do, you know? So it's like you invest so much of your life into this. I mean, I started the band 20 years ago this month. Um, But she's been the one that's like, you, you don't want to quit. Like, you won't be happy with yourself or your life. Um, and in fact, the Alter Bridge show is is a prime example of that. Um, so, we had the show book three months in advance. Oh and through a bunch of political BS that happened with the promotion side of that, like, the week of the show, they're like, you're not on the show. I'm like, you're not even doing the show. It's not your show. This was booked three months ago. Piss off. I'm like, what? What's? Alter Bridge doesn't approve it. I'm like, they approved three months ago. No, no. Like, whatever. So we had that time off work because they were uh, Sturgis at the motorcycle rally the night, and we were trying to get picked up for that day too. So um, we had cleared that week to be on tour, basically those four or five days. Um, Once that gets canceled. My wife's, well, I already got the time off from work and we had just gotten from a, um, a week in Vegas. And she's like, You wanna go back to Vegas? I'm like, When? She's like, then I'm like, Fuck yeah, I want back to Vegas. <laughs> so she booked the flight. So I pulled it up and literally was like just getting ready to hit enter after my card number's in and I get a text, uh, Alter Bridge date back on. I'm like, yeah. So I call these guys and I'm like, supposedly the Alter Bridge date's back on. I'm watching like, the timer on this tick like you have two minutes and 30 seconds to complete this purchase before we rereate your sites. and i was like oh great so i made sure they were available and they're like what is going on, yeah, on the show I'm available bro. and i was what like a lot i explained but like i've got two minutes and 14 seconds to make a decision do you want to do the show or should i tell this guy to go screw himself I'm like no let's do the show so we did that but before we did that i called my wife i'm like all right we're down to like 45 on the timer because she had just trying to go get dinner she's like what do you mean i'm like to care for she's like i told you to do it and the promoter got back to us that wasn't part of the city cine- that now says we're back on the show i don't shit we can go to vegas or we can do the show you pick and she's like i'm not gonna pick you can't pick right i'm like you better pick something just like 48 seconds now she said if you don't play this show you're never gonna forgive yourself and i said i don't know i could get over another week in vegas <laughs> she's <laughs> like she's like Call honey, but I support you either way. But I think you probably do the show. So that's what we did. And that's the essence of who she's been through all this. And she's been there for the highs and she's been there through the lows. And honestly, if it wasn't for support, there's probably at least two I can think of where I would have just said, like I can always not be in a band. I have to put myself out there and just write and record music for the love of it. I mean, I got a home video I've accomplished amazing things. Um, but i'm glad that she was that voice of reason you'd be like no this is who you are you can never quit you will never quit this so i'm right yeah the family's all of it
0: yeah yeah 100 percent yeah and uh geez you're very lucky to have her you know how would you like the band to evolve then what would core look like in say five years time in a perfect world
2: um, in a perfect world, in like the next 12 to 18 months, we're going to be headlining these venues that we were going out in November December. That perfect, perfect world,
0: I like it. I like it. And before we we dive into the last couple of questions, then future plans that are set in stone. I know you told us there's something in November you can't share. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us that you can share?
2: We've got tour dates, we're out for a week. Um, I can say this, I think in Florida in November. And then upper Midwest through the last week of the year in December. Um, I can't say who it's with, and I may not even said that much. I was hopefully. gonna say,
3: let's hope you can,
2: that. yeah, let's hope I didn't get myself in trouble, but that's set in stone. Um, we've you, known about that for a couple of weeks, just keep getting told next week, next week. So we're just sitting back trying to sharpen <laughs> like, on because it's really awesome, <laughs> it's
3: gonna be amazing. Hell yeah. Um, you can definitely expect some new music from us uh, the early part of next year. Nice. If, well, if we'll call it early part of next year.
2: That was part of the conversation agreed to the, the, the offer that we have with Payton is that I'm writing and recording music right now that I think is every is on point, if not better than anything we put out for. Um, and it shows a little bit of evol- evolution. And I think each core record has, I mean, it's, Fundamentally the same kind of music. It's funny the same song structures for the most part here and there. But um, every record you can tell is just a little bit of evolution to the songwriting and broken heart syndrome um as a effect of the the label deal that we had going back to 2015. I ended up doing that whole record here. Um so I learned things about production and like EQ and compression and things, I never gave a crap about before, but I had to know how to do it because I knew the sound that I had in my head, and I wasn't going to until we got there. So now, I mean, the benefit of that was that since then, anything that we put out, we just do here on our time, on our schedule. um So it's cost effective, but it also gives us the ability to like maybe let's come back to that in a couple of days and just see, as opposed to being like you got six days to get this record done. Um, which I'd probably work better get the deadline anyhow. I seem I to give you the
3: deadline. I know arbitrarily. I,
2: I know. That. <laughs> At least we done the day. Well, then we get done today. But um yeah, with that in mind with the deal with pavement, I was anticipating it was going to be for the new music. But do you know Tim King?
0: Uh not personally, you
2: know. Uh he's the vice president of, of Pavement, uh, head of AR, um that gave us this. Um he's like, look, we can go either way. He's like, I checked out your catalog. It's great. I trust any new music you put out to be on par with this at least. But I really really like that song, Danger Monkey, and I think that's something special. Like, all right, what where's the butt? Because it felt like there was a butt coming. (laughs) He's like, well, he's like, the way that our promotion team is going to handle this is we would like the song to be minutes long, and the chorus to hit. At or before thirty seconds. I'm like this, song is like three twenty-five right now, and he's like, "We got to get it three minutes, or if you want to do something." New. And then there was another song we have called Camouflage that he really liked too, and there were bits there. So I was porn and as a band, we kind of went back and forth because they've had the the benefit of hearing the new music, so they're like, "Ah, the new stuff." But I think what, what was the with too. Yeah, but I think we kind of sealed it in the end was Tim's like, look, we can go either way, and I, you guys, I definitely want to hear the new music before we agree to do that. Uh, but we can build up a bunch of you know steam off of my Dream. It's a existing asset if you can figure out a way to to get that time constraint, and then we've already grabbed, you know a pool of people for the new music, and then we hit them with after the fact
3: it's still so, junkies
2: yeah so that's the route we went um, i went through and made some edits to the song um there's a musical interlude for about 20 seconds after that second course actually after the first bridge going into the third course that i went through and just removed that and then the nightmare in my hands of how to surgically put the song back together but sounded as if it was recorded like that and i wasn't sure if i could do it But once I got it, I'm sending it to these guys. I'm like, I'm like, this is it. We got it. So I sent it off to Tim. Never been so nervous in my life, ever. Um, And his response was overwhelming. He's like, song is fucking awesome. It's word for word what he said. And I, so Tim uh, is the bass player in a band called Soil. Um, They're a huge band you look up to and, and adore. So to have him like, Say anything nice about us, yeah, it's great, but that as a stamp, I'm like, right, we made the right
3: decision, and I feel like what the accomplished death metal thing,
2: yes, yes. Um, what's his embryonic autopsy, Embry- yes, embryonic autopsy, other bands. Um, and he's says he so much in the music industry, but um, to have that go of confidence, I was like, all right, we did the right thing, and I mean, just this interview here is proof of the the best team we've had around us on this band. Where I feel like it's not just the band believes in the band. We've got a team of people around us that are believing in us and promoting us as well. So,
3: um well, my wife confirmed that was the right decision. I mean, how many years now? It's it's not like she hadn't heard any of this stuff before. And we released the the radio edit video. And later that day, she's like, "God damn it, that song totally stuck in my head."
2: <laughs> yes, <It's laughs> she said that, and I said, "Tell her, tell her you're welcome." <laughs> well, I mean, it has resonated. I I found out in an interview we did yesterday that it's over fifty thousand or fifty one thousand views on on YouTube right now. So, it's been out for three, weeks, four weeks, three or four, right there. So, I mean, that's. I mean, um, my definite thing is definitely music. Like one week with the label, so.
0: No, it's super exciting though, and like you guys, you've been doing it for years, but you're finally coming into your time now. You know, you're on the ascent.
3: Well, personally speaking, I think it's a really good thing that like we didn't like land with this stuff like say ten, fifteen years ago because I was a train wreck back then.
2: You were, but I wasn't. <laughs> you wasn't.
3: But, um, you know, uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm just grateful. You were a lot of fun then. Well, I... But you wouldn't have been dependable. Right. I, I still am fun, just not... I'm just different fun. I don't know I'm you out of a band. <laughs> yes. <that's laughs> <the
2: other way. laughs> but no, it, it definitely feels like that. But I, like I said a little bit ago, I don't take any of this for granted. Like, every big show that we've gotten to every headline show we've done where there's not many people there because they know who the hell we were um i don't take any of it for granted i feel like it's been a gradual ascent the whole way up till now now this seems like it's accelerating it's a, like i tell him every day like i show him my inbox he's like these are all from the late i'm like yeah dude like this is all i'm doing all day every day it feels like it's coming out like a fire hose but i i wouldn't want it any other way i mean there's what was the point of the last 20 years of this band if we're not going to continue to push for that? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly. And I suppose we better uh, jump into the last couple of questions. So these are a couple of random, odd music questions just to finish up. I'm intrigued to see your answers. If you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be?
2: This is going to sound cliche, but I'd say probably John Lennon.
0: Right, (laughs) right. Can't argue with that.
3: So I
0: this is this,
3: I'm sure as soon as we're done, like something will pop in my head. I'll be like, oh, that's what I should have said. But <laughs> um honestly, Blind Melon with Shannon Hoon there actually there. So they were playing at First Avenue, which is a small club about four hours from here. Um this obviously prior to his death. But a friend of ours just moved to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and then some other friends I had in Omaha were playing a show out in Madison, Wisconsin. The same, night. so we're like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And we're like, oh, we can see Blind Melon some other time. So we went out to Madison, Wisconsin. Did see a very cool band called Wig with my buddies from Secret Sin out of Omaha. But uh, And then like a week or two later, Shannon died. I'm like, ah. oh, man. So if I could rewind and and get that opportunity, that would be nice.
0: Mm. I wouldn't blame you. And here's where the odd part comes in. If you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would you pick?
3: Cliff Burton. It's
0: a good one, actually. Yeah. And I suppose a stupid question. What would you hope to learn from Cliff?
3: Fuck anything. I mean, the guy was a, a musical genius. And mm. what does not... Well, yeah. I mean, it, classically trained and so much more than just a rock bass player. Mm.
2: I mean, again, my go-to would probably be John Lennon, but for my immediate needs and uses, I'd <laughs> say probably Ben. Ben Burnsley from Breaking Benjamin. Ah. I
1: think he's a
2: completely underrated songwriter and i think he's brilliant and he just approaches songs in ways that are kind of foreign to me um that even as much as i study him i'm like i don't think i could ever do that because so much of the song structure is like based around a riff and then he'll switch into like two or three other riffs in the song make it work and then somehow still write these amazing beautiful melodic like huge you know, from the mountaintop courses that just blow me away. So I blow me away <laughs> for bringing <Bad>. So, <laughs> yeah, that would probably be my,
3: my immediate pick right now. That was worse than your band comment.
2: There you go. Um,
3: Claudio Sanchez would be like a very, very close second for me. That guy's amazing. His overall approach to songwriting and how he is incorporated the, the concept idea into. God, what is it, 12 albums at this point? I mean, it's just and accompanying graphic novels is just insane.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some very good picks there. And the final one. So now we've been told this is impossible, but uh we'll see if you can answer. What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life?
3: Maybe the Benny Hill theme. Um <laughs> like which
2: one our songs or just any, any song,
0: song in general.
2: I've always said since it came out when i was a little kid um released me from pearl jam
0: right right what is it about that that speaks to you
2: um i think probably some of it is just that it's a freaking amazing song but um and it's brilliant and until I was like proficient enough on guitar to how to play it, I'm like, this is three chords. The whole damn song is the same <laughs> three chords over and over and over and over. So I was always just amazed by the dynamics. Um, and, and a lot of it's because of Eddie Vedder's voice, like the way that he can just, I, I used to always say, I get questions, like, who are my vocal influences? And I would say him, even though I don't sound anything like him. Because what I try to incorporate in my own singing and never really noticed until I heard it in his, like if I used to say that if Eddie Vedder sang Mary Had a Little Lamb, you'd be able to tell what kind of day he was having just by the way he sang that song. Everybody knows because he's got that kind of tonality to his deliverance and it's so powerful. And um, so, so that and just the, the ethereal of all of it, Um, because I had this was a, a a whole nother story, but we had a, a interviewer question like this came up. um But it was like, when you die, what song you want to play at your funeral? And I was like, that, uh, like. But it was like a contest of who could. Have, I'm like, winner right here. Release me, like top that for a funeral song. You can't do it. And then everybody would go I'm like, yeah, no, it's release me. But yeah, I've always thought that. And then I've seen Pearl jam like five or six times, but I saw him in an amphitheater, probably around like 2002 um outdoor show in missouri and being a huge rock band like we come out and we're we're throwing haymakers like right out of the gate right that's what most bands do they come out and they're so badass they open with release me i'm like oh my god i'm like these guys are bosses <laughs> like and he just kills it you know he's like you know all the, all the like just kind of mumbling stuff that he does before he starts singing when that comes through a pa and you're in an amphitheater with, like, 40,000 people. Like, oh, my God, his voice is so powerful. Mm. So,
3: I mean, for me, that would be my can't answer.
0: Well, good one.
3: So, um, as always, the disclaimer of this could be answered differently, you know, in 20 minutes. Uh, it, uh, there, there's two that, that come to mind readily. Scotty doesn't um, know. What? He <laughs> <laughs> you knows that song. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear what you said at first. It took a second to fully travel. Um, so, the first one, uh, Against the Wall by Either, um, you know, we were all born for for greatness, whether we recognize that or not. And life is a series of misunderstandings and fucked up circumstances, is what it is. But um, it's also what we make of that mess is we're going through it and it's a great song, uh very melodic. Um the other one that comes to mind would be No Excuses by and Chains. Um and a lot of the same great reasons um involved there. Um and and I identify uh a lot with a lot of Lane Staley's writing when he was well yeah in, in some of his low points and, and higher and all of it, but um, you know, at the end of the day, we all do some really messed up shit, whether we're high, drunk, or sober. Hmm. Um, and and you know, how did you get there? Why and and what do you do now? That's always well, the well, you question. were in that same place yeah. at that time,
2: you know, in, in your musical landscape that yeah. you guys shared that
3: moment really. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you're out. Yeah, you and me both for so many reasons.
0: Good answer. Good answer. Listen, guys, it's been an absolute blast. Now I've really enjoyed chatting with you. We'll have to get you on again in the future.
2: We would love it. Thank you for your time and thanks for having us.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code Concerts, and you'll receive ten percent off. So, until next time, keep rocking! Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing here? The show is over.